Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Wire World Pro Audio. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez. And before we get going, let me... First of all, I just want to give everybody a hug, man. <laughs> In like 10 months. But over here, if I remember everybody's name, over here on my right is the one and only Bobby Osinski. Bobby. Hi, Mike. Hi, guys. So, so good to see you, Bobby. Likewise, Mike. And all your, uh, all your travel and adventures. We got we to talk about some of that stuff. And next to him is joining us our really good friend, Jordan Reynolds. Jordan. What's up? I saw Jordan. We ran into each other over at the NAMM show. Yeah, in your, in your dark little uh, Dave Smith booth, right? <laughs> Dave Smith booth, yes. I'm like, this is a, wow, it's so secretive. <laughs> uh, and then uh, across the table, we've got the one and only Mr. Nick Peck. Hello, Mike! <laughs> Hello, folks! Oh, my God, did I miss you all. I am so happy to be here. Uh, and so go missed you too, Nick. Oh man, missed the energy, missed the vibe. Just it's like a chunk of my life missing without the audio now. <laughs> oh. uh, well, we're back. And then next to Nick, we've got the one and only producer extraordinaire, Miss Bliss McGinnis. Hello, everyone. Bliss, it's so good to see you. You too. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Too long. <laughs> and then finally, over here on my left, the one and only. Iron Man of the Audio Nowcast, but we're going to have to find something else to call him. <laughs> uh, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> the one and only Mr. Rob Arbitier. Hello, everyone. Rob, it has really been a long time. It's been a long time. It's been uh, about 10 months. <sighs> no. Eight months, yeah. The, we, the last podcast that we, we did was, you're right, it was in August. So it's it August. was seriously, yeah, August. So we didn't do one after AES, or no? The last podcast that we did together as a group was in August. Wow, and that's um, way too long. And to be honest, I haven't posted that show yet. <laughs> 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 I haven't, and that show is going to go up. It's going to be super long, but it's super interesting. But let me just tell you this, and this is all I'm going to say on the subject for right now. But the day after we podcast last time from here, my life literally changed. Like crazy changed and uh and you'll hear the story because we're actually doing an episode of spaces but yeah so stuff happened and uh it all turned out i'll turn out for the best and uh then um after my life changed we decided to you know what do you do when you're in a situation and you you're just trying to figure things out well if, in my case you just create content <laughs> and so we basically um took off and did a bunch of episodes, travel the world in shot spaces. And we have a bunch of episodes that are going to be coming out. We've got some amazing footage. We've got just some amazing stories that we'll be talking about um, throughout the podcast and throughout several podcasts because we've got several podcasts, right? Worth of, <laughs> worth of material. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, so we, we shot a bunch of uh, content and uh, missed you guys. Um, but we did, we did do one special um, podcast that we're going to do these specials every now and then, and that was we did a podcast from Nashville um, that we're going to be posting when the Nashville episode comes up. Um, 
which is really cool. There was some. Uh, is Rob there? No, because it's not an official podcast. Say so we call no, call no Iron Man required. Exactly. <laughs> no, I, that would have that would have been the end of an era. And we I, have yeah, that. no, can't we have can't that. have that. That's just no, no, no. That's that's the that's, that's yeah. That's not a that's not an audio nowcast podcast. That's an audio nowcast special podcast. So I've done a couple of those. Like I did an interview with Martin when it was just a one on one before that when it was. Like Endgame. <laughs> no spoilers. I haven't seen it yet. I can't get any Atmos tickets in good rows. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, so yeah, so we, we had some fun and, and did that, but basically I'll tell you what, missed you guys, all you guys. It was, it was Nick. Uh, I know you, you missed us, but man, missed you, missed your, uh, energy and everything. And there's a lot to talk about. We have a ton to talk about today, but, um, but before we get going, um, Bobby, what have you been doing? I just want to visit a little bit and find out what you've been doing these last couple months, man. I know you've been traveling and doing all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah, lots of traveling uh, and, you know, just doing courses, writing courses, books, all that stuff. I mean, nothing is different than it was. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I'm still busy. Uh, this week I launched the social media boot camp, social media promotion for musicians boot camp. Wow. And that was kind of a big project getting that going. Wow, that's really cool, mm-hmm. and I can't wait to sign up for that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Too late. <laughs> Only once a year. Oh, wait till next year then. No, you don't have a special class. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> no, I'm just going to call you, Bobby. <laughs> Jordan, how about you? Oh man, um, just, I know you've been. I, Jordan's a he does a lot of voiceover, does a lot of reels, does a voiceover. You coach, you record, you do a bunch of stuff. Yeah, just anything voiceover, pretty yeah. much. <laughs> but oh, what stuff that isn't under NDA. Um, oh, well, finally, probably one of the most fun projects I worked on was uh, voice matching Zach Galifianakis. I think that's how you say it. Oh, that's nice. cool. For Missing Link. He yeah. wasn't, I don't know, whatever the case may be, they cast a voice talent to replace him in an Alexa skill. So it's like a game that kids can play. Right, so. right. And then also a bunch of TV promos where he's like sitting there. So actually, I got animated. Which is rare um, in a commercial a as, as Link. So you did the voice match. So for well, at least for the, 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 the cool. yeah, not in the film, but for everything else. That's was, so you know. Yeah, he's just kind of like yeah, he's just like he, he talked really fast and he's like. A, <laughs> but it's weird. It was because it was Zach, but not um, like total Zach. It right. was like a more innocent, childlike Zach. So. Yeah. That was really fun. That's probably the most fun project. That's ever. You have really to talk great. Like that for the rest of the podcast. Hey, I, you know what? I'm not that far off from his kind of <laughs> manic excitement, like he's just you know, mumbling. Uh, that's, <laughs> he mumbles great. a lot. So, um, but yeah, and uh, hopping onto Pro Tools, trying to do more video product, learning video production and stuff like wow, that. So that's cool. Yeah, I've got a long ways to go, but yeah, it's it's, it's been fun. You know, I've had a couple of freelance gigs um, the past couple of months, and all of them have been for uh, editing, oh, yeah. about, picture mm. editing. Like I have a, not not audio but picture editing, which is actually kind of fun. When you go into a project as the picture editor, it's like it's a whole different ballgame. It is. I'm having a lot of fun going it's... into a project as the audio editor. But um, yeah, are you doing Final Cut? Yes, Final Cut X, Final Cut Ten. I am. I did that only because um, the, it's super fast, super easy. Although I will say I looked at DaVinci Resolve and sixteen, and that looks really great and it's so awesome color correction is looks really good and they did they have this super easy edit page now that kind of mimics what final cut's been doing you know it has like a magnetic timeline the whole thing and if you understand how to work in final cut x 
just realize it's not Premiere, it's not anything, it's not Avid, it's its own thing, then it's very, it's very workable, you know, it's really doable and it's fast. That's the thing. It's, I can, I can put a cut together like really quick. Um, so it, it works out, it works out really good for me. How about you? Yeah, it's Final Cut. Yeah. Final Cut. And again, it's fast. I can do, well, I did one yesterday, as a matter of fact, I, I turned around kind of like the intro to a course that was 10 minutes long and that was recording it and and editing it and i did it in you know half a day yeah so i'll talk to like i'll talk to bliss and we'll figure out a concept for video and you know we'll talk on the phone and then later on i'll be like oh here's the first cut you know and she's like Wow. <laughs> right? Because it comes really quick when we start editing this stuff. So. And then all the notes. Yeah. <laughs> um, just kidding. No, it's great. I love Da Vinci so much. <laughs> but I think, I think just like anything, it's a matter of what you've spent the time getting comfortable at and what you've spent the time getting good at. Yeah. And what I, lo- what I love about it is, A, it's free. B, yeah. it's Mac PC Linux, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, it's just so flexible along those lines. Um, but beyond that, I just... I have yet to find a thing that I want to do that I can't do in DaVinci Resolve. But, you know, um, but, but, but there's 10,000 things you can do in it right. that I know nothing about and never will get good enough to do because yeah. I'm an audio pro and a video hack, yeah. right? So, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's but, great. But it costs too much. What, zero? <laughs> <laughs> how's I your, love Blackmagic. I think they're awesome. How's your, uh, how's your podcast? I mean, your, uh, your YouTube channel going? Uh, Under the Big Tree? Yeah. It went really well. Well, it, it has gone really, really well, and I've been very focused just on synthesizers and that kind of thing. Um, but I've dropped it. Like let's let's say that I'm in between seasons at this point. Hey, I know that feeling. (laughs) (laughs) And and the reason why um, is because since last we met, I also had a gargantuan gargantuan life change in that I bought a house and moved to Burbank. Wow! Yes. So I now I just moved there. It took forever. You know, I had. You know, anytime anyone's ever moved, you know what an unbelievable thing it is, right? But I had stuff that I was moving from my dad's house in Mill Valley and from, you know, a a pod that I had sitting somewhere, who knows where, with all my recording gear in it. (laughs) That's so great. Equipment and furniture (laughs) and all of that stuff. Um, But I just bought a house right near Walt Disney Studio. And it is a, if I drive, it's a six-minute drive to, you know, to work at the Disney. and. But I'm not driving. I'm riding my bike to work. Let me say this again. I'm in Los Angeles, (laughs) and I ride a bike to my job at Disney. Okay, hold on. Hold on on one second. Note to self. (laughs) I now have a couch in Burbank to sleep on. You now have a couch in Burbank to sleep on. When's the house warming? Um, As soon as I'm not, like, swimming in boxes. (laughs) So that's how new it is. But it's, you know, it's a very sweet little house on a very sweet quiet street which is exactly what i wanted right Anything there's a lot of of those in burbank oh i actually. love burbank that's so, so great much. Yeah, i can't so believe great. i didn't know but oh, Me too. Yeah. it's so great yeah and my kids are in the burbank school well, district that's great. which that's i'm great. super excited about and you know i had been looking in, around and you know sort of getting serious about it and um it was it was one of these stories where if you want to get 
a house and you have you you have to get all your ducks in a row, right? Because I looked at a bunch of houses that were all really beat up and I was like, well, I can make this work, but I'll spend the next two years of my life remodeling it. Um, I had my pre-approval letter, I had my money, I had everything set and the realtor got a call because a house that had already sold the the buyer fell out for whatever reason they couldn't they couldn't handle the mortgage or something wow so the house went back on the market at four o'clock in the afternoon at seven o'clock I was there looking at the house and by nine o'clock I had placed an offer on the house and by 10 a.m. the next morning it was mine wow congratulations congratulations oh it was it was it was really being in the right place at the right time and and it's it's completely done or nearly done. So there's very little that I have to do, right? I mean, I did the the termiting and I replaced right. The, right. The, the 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 sewer pipe and all of that kind of thing. But I walked into the back, and the previous owner had put in a a garage that is 13 feet tall and it's 21 feet by 21 feet. Uh, I walked in uh, there and went, oh, oh. my. <laughs> God, I'm back in business. That is again. so great. It's nuts. So it's a steel building, and so I have to figure out how to insulate it and be able to do some level of soundproofing. Um, but once I get that done, you know, I mean, there will be stuff sort of yeah, all around it, be, but it's going to be my performance you know and rehearsal space that's and recording be, space, it, and I'm thrilled. It's going to be easier than you think, too, to, yeah. to do that. So yeah. that's great. So that's been, that's been the thing. So Burbank, wow. 100%. We got to tell hey, the fun... Yeah, yeah. For people who are listening to this podcast, literally, this is the first time I'm talking to these guys. Like, we didn't talk that much beforehand, so I didn't know any yeah. of this stuff. Yeah, I bought a house, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Miss um, Bliss McGinnis, what have you been up to the last 10 months or so? I've been doing the coolest stuff ever. <laughs> uh, I've been traveling the world, and I've been starting this brand new show called Spaces, and it's the coolest <laughs> And, um, yeah, I've been producing and living my dreams and breaking out of old molds and basically trying new things and just diving in, and it's exciting. It's really exciting, and let me just tell you, you've been a great part of just getting the whole Spaces thing up and rolling. So thank you. i got to thank you for that. Of course. Rob. Mike. Ten months. Man, it's been a while, brother. Ten months. Just been sitting around waiting for the podcast. <laughs> 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 that is not true. <laughs> uh, what have I been doing? I've been uh, doing some artist development, uh, which is something I've done for a long time. But uh, <laughs> primarily, I guess since August, I've mostly been involved on the tech side, uh, working with a company developing an app. Uh, it's like a social media app centered around music. And it's not live yet, so I don't want to talk yeah. too much about it. But August, I think, is right when we started. I think I started August 1st with that. So I would probably just dip my toes into it. I don't even remember if I mentioned something about I, it back then. But I don't think you did. This is the first time I've heard of it. Okay. And well, now it's, it's actually a product in some testers' hands. And uh, yeah, it's turning into a real thing. Rob gets done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's been fun because it's, it's on the tech side, which a lot of the startup and businessy stuff I've been doing for the last few years is, really? but it's it's got a music component, which a lot of the tech stuff I was doing did not have. So wow. it's interesting to start leveraging a little bit of my uh, music resume in a tech project. Wow, that's fantastic. Well, it sounds like everybody's been keeping busy and doing a bunch of stuff. It's been, it's been really great. Um, like I mentioned before, uh, I had some changes um, that happened back in August, and 
I was in a point in my life where I just, okay, where are we going to go from here? And uh, so we started doing shooting spaces and I called Bliss up and we were talking and it's like, okay, now's the chance to, to do this. And we literally traveled all over the world shooting this thing. We did a trip where we actually circumnavigated the world. We started in uh, L.A., went to Nashville, from Nashville went to Baltimore, Baltimore went to New York, New York went to London, from London went up to Dublin, then went back to London, then went to Dubai, then went to Tokyo, then came back to L.A. <laughs> All in one trip. And let me just tell you, that was a serious haul. How long did it take? 30 days. Yeah. It was 30 yeah. days. It was, it, was, it was 30 days. And... We were shooting, and we were. There's just some crazy stuff that happened. I mean, there was involved okay, the luggage, the, uh, yeah, <laughs> luggage, and the requirements of all the airlines. Yeah, it was like when you travel like that. First of all, you're so concerned about the weight of your luggage, and you and mm-hmm. and then imagine traveling with camera gear, and you're trying to figure out your your carry on. And so we're doing all great and dandy, except we went to one. We had to fly Norwegian Air to London, and we could sweet talk. Everybody into anything except Norwegian Air. They cannot be <laughs> sweet talk. So I had to check my camera carry-on because it was too heavy. For, they wouldn't let me even bring it as an over, overhead. Every other airline was fine. On them, I had to check it. And I was so nervous. I you was so were, nervous. but you really handled it like a pro. I was so impressed because anyone else would have just lost it. And you were like so on pins and needles, but you're like, whatever happens, happens. And like you were just trying to stay calm, and uh, it was really impressive. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I well, just, I, at least you weren't on Aeroflot where everybody can bring all their luggage and put it in the aisle. <laughs> I, I rode on Aeroflot once. I was going to Rome and I went to I stopped in uh, Russia on the way up to Moscow. <laughs> um, yeah. That's probably a bad story. It was yeah. really bad. I yeah. felt like I was walking back into like the 80s. You were. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I was terrified. 1984. So it was really oh. scary. It was, uh, yeah. So that was, that was a scary thing when you have all your camera gear and you had to check it. And you know what? Think Tank, man. I got to give props to those. The Think Tank um, carry-on Sponsorship here. Yeah. I mean, the camera came through with not a scratch. Like, everything. And I had lenses and everything in there. Just not a scratch on anything. Um, so that was actually really cool. We did some crazy stuff. Went and saw a lot of music. Went and saw um, U2 in Dublin, wow. which was like bucket list. Check. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> um, we're in England, flipping through. Oh, U2. They're playing in Dublin. Like, you're in London already. Like, you have to, like, when in your lifetime are you going to be able to go see U2 in Dublin? I, I just, I, we're so close. And I was like, you want to go see you too? And just is like, yes! <laughs> and then we went over there on this, the worst airline known to mankind. It was... Uh, Aer Lingus. Aer Lingus. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like an STD. <laughs> yeah, Aer Lingus. It was, it was, it was so bad. Uh, I mean, like... You, Mike got in trouble. I, I did. I got in trouble because Ooh. I was filming a lot of stuff, right? And so the the the, the flight attendant's doing her um, emergency, you know, little spiel, and I was just I was filming it. I was just being nice and just kind of filming it. And she's like, "You can't film us. You cannot film any flight attendants." And she like made me turn it off. 
like I just you feel so helpless. It's like I can't. All right, yeah, I'm and she was it. like, "Did you shoot anything?" And you said no. And yeah. then she's like, "Give me that footage." Yeah, and, I was and like, it's oh, like, thing. yeah, it was really. And I'm like, no, I'm not gonna, I, I'm not gonna do it. I, and you know, on the airlines nowadays, you. You just have no power. Like they can kick you off in, mm-hmm. in anything. And all I was thinking about is I don't want to miss you too. <laughs> so, so went. Uh, it was really nice after that. Just I was really nice to them. It wasn't nice. It was a horrible flight. Literally had like an inch and a half of leg space. I I, I every time I moved my leg, I think I was giving a massage to the person in front of me because <laughs> that, there was like no right. There was no leg room at all. It was None. Terrible. It was the. I, I, it, it was laughable when you go, you're walking down and you look and you're like, I don't know how we're going to fit in that, you know? It was the worst. But but yeah, five Spaces, uh, spaces episodes are coming out of that, those 30 days of adventures. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was crazy. Yeah. I spent half of a U2 concert underneath the stage. It's <laughs> a good view. That's cool. My uh, a really good friend of mine owns a sound company that, U2 is used for 20 years. Wow. And um, he said, hey, come here, I want to show you something. So we went underneath the stage, and it's actually where all the monitor people are. Uh, each band member has their own monitor guy with their own console. <laughs> and the uh, keyboard and guitar techs are down there. And also the keyboard tech plays keyboards most of the time. Edge does it on a couple songs, right. but he does it most of the time. But... You can see, you can walk up to the stage where Edge is. So, he, you know, I saw I saw everything from at least that That's standpoint. That's cool. Yeah. It was great. It was a great, great, great Yeah, great U2 concert. was amazing, but uh, so was the taxi driver who picked us up from the airport. Oh, yeah. He was actually the most memorable of the whole trip, you gotta I tell, thought. you got to tell the story. It's hilarious. Um, so after the terrible flight... Uh, we obviously land in Dublin and we get this amazing taxi driver and he's this precious old man from Dublin and he just has this thick accent and we tell him we're there to go see you two and he's like you two he's like that front man is a rat (laughs) (laughs) what he's like that Bono is a rat exactly (laughs) and we're like what (laughs) Like he tells this whole story about how he picked him up once from a studio and Bono was in his young younger days and he was like just really pompous and you know who I am and this whole thing and this guy's just like you're a rat (laughs) yeah don't piss off a taxi driver because they'll never ever (laughs) forget it they never I think I I even took a picture with him because he was so precious yeah he did it was it was pretty funny anyway. It was hilarious. Yeah, and that was one of the – what was really cool is as we're doing all these travels, we're seeing a lot of live shows and we saw um, saw Post Malone in Paris and we saw uh, Childish Gambino in London and we just experienced the music. If you get a chance to travel someplace, you should go to a concert at wherever – if you go overseas or wherever because – Literally, they're all different experiences, and you can you can you you experience music so different in all these different countries. It's it's amazing. Like Amsterdam, the joy of that crowd. That crowd was just crazy when we saw a concert there. But then you go over to um, some of these other concert venues that we win, and they're not as animated, but they're just as passionate on the on the music. It's just it's such a weird experience too. Yeah, and I think that they appreciate it more overseas because I know here here Americans are coming over and so they're really excited to have them there, as opposed to us just feeling like, you know, 
Kendrick Lamar is playing in LA or Childish Gambino, it's like, oh, well, they're like, they live here. So it's not as yeah. much of an exciting thing to think about. But I don't know, I just feel like that's really special and you feel it in the air. You really do. There's, there's a sense of, of, uh, of happiness that they have. I guess because they, they don't come maybe as often as, as you think. Although I did walk out of a concert for the first time in forever. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Have you guys, have you ever walked out, Rob, have you ever walked out of a concert? You ever went to go see somebody and then you just end up walking out? No, I don't think so. How about you, Bobby? Uh, bad company because they were too loud. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it was, I believe it, it. it was, and this is before I carried ear protection. Bad <laughs> company like the people you were with or the concert? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Jordan? I think maybe one, but it's mostly just I just have a lot of memories of bearing through the opening acts, right? Uh, or, yeah. or I'm there to see an opening act and then I just leave because right. I hate the lead. Yeah, you know, so I, a lot, lots of, like metal shows and stuff like that. How about you, Nick? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? I I I walked out on the Grateful Dead. Oh. <laughs> I going? respect that. No, no, no. <laughs> Not for the reason you <laughs> think. <laughs> because I happen to love the Grateful Dead. <laughs> I know. Okay. I walked out of the Grateful Dead because I was tripping on acid. <laughs> <laughs> I respect that even more. <laughs> Really bad oh. trip. Oh my god! And all the colors and all the great. This I was in college. This was the eighties. Okay, <laughs> all the colors and all the stuff. And I was starting to get very, very claustrophobic. So wow! I that was probably the only time I've ever walked out on a concert. Well, uh, we walked out of. Uh, first of all, I love this guy's album. The album is really. It's a great album. Really good production. Really, really interesting, creative production and songs. But in concert, it was probably the most painful thing ever. Like physically painful. Yeah. Oh, no. It was Travis Scott. Hmm. Astro World. It was the sound mix was literally the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. It was like they were throbbing like 80. Not even like the low, not even like 60 or 40, like 80s. No, I would say probably not even that that low. I, probably more like 100 to 125. They were just killing it, just ripping it. Like that's all you heard. It was like paper against the speaker, just buzzing out, and it was painful. I didn't know what songs they were playing, like at all. I couldn't tell. I didn't know what he was saying. I It was just like... <laughs> <laughs> like the whole time. That's pretty bad. It was so... Yeah, it was it's so It's a new aesthetic. Come on, It was man. like... You're just not hip to All the, the kids were loving it. And I was just enough. like, what? <laughs> it was just getting a headache in the ears. It was like... It was so bad. And it was just like... I felt like taking the mic and being like, do you Nashville kids even know what music is? <laughs> Nashville, Why are you here? Yeah, we saw it in yeah, Nashville. Yeah, at the Bridgestone Arena in Nashville. And it was just, and that's a good venue. Just go a lot watch of... some country. <laughs> <laughs> but the, it was really, really bad. I don't mean to bang on the sound guy, but he was not good at I all. I am banging on him. He sucked. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, I, I personally feel that a whole generation of sound men and women learn the wrong way mm. and as a result that's what you have yeah instead of uh i mean when i was growing up the way i learned was 
you amplify whatever is the quietest on the stage, that gets the most because mm-hmm. that needs it. But now it's just the opposite. It's like give me that kick and snare. Yeah, they were they were pushing up. They were pushing it, and it was not even the it wasn't even you know what. I would say it was probably even, you know, 125, you know, that mega bass yeah, frequency yeah. that everybody pushes. So think about that, but then go a little bit higher so it's really just brutal on your sub subwoofer. So I guess the funniest part is that um, during the Super Bowl, he performed and it was horrible. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing was horrible, but then I was like, maybe if it's his own concert, like, he'll make up for it, and it was, like, even worse. And so, I mean, I don't know, whatever the problem was, like, who wanted it that way, but, like, it just, I I don't understand. Well, I can't speak, I can't speak to him specifically, but, you know, here's a philosophical question for you, Bobby. Let's say that you're some artist, and you've spent your life perfecting and polishing your music and your performance and you've done all of this stuff and you've made it to the point where you get to play in a beautiful arena a beautiful venue how would you feel if you knew that the audience couldn't hear what it was that you were trying to put across to them but if they're reacting you know and i the response usually is from the sound man sound company it's something like um well that's what the kids wants want that's what excites them and you see the reaction. There's usually a strong reaction. People aren't complaining. So it's like, well, yeah, it must be the case. You, you know, here's the thing that I've noticed about um, venues and all the live shows that we've gone to. Two things. Number one, um, you know, there's a lot of automation on all the consoles out there, mm-hmm. right? Back in the day, there wasn't a lot of automation. So when you went through your line check and you had to set your EQ and all that stuff, you physically, it was pretty much a different different setup every different venue because you're 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 in the moment and you're setting it all up. It's just a recall now. Yeah, it's just a recall and I and I think that's what's happening because that was it was so wrong on his on his um his concert and it just You it, said the sound guy should have gotten fired to me. <laughs> quote unquote. Yeah, cuz it was it was so bad. I haven't heard anything that bad. The other thing that I noticed and this is back from the, even back in the day when I was touring is sometimes you work with an artist and they will they will make front of house changes from the stage yeah. which is the worst place in the world yeah. especially when it comes to bass they're going to want they want to feel it I want to feel it in the arena and stuff like that so they're making the sound guy you know make changes based on how they're listening on stage for the front of house and I've seen that happen so that's the only little bit of wiggle room that I'm that I'm thinking, but I think if you there's some really great venues out in the world. I mean, they've, there's some really good like you know the new Forum. That's a great sounding venue from compared to where it used to be. It was know? made for that though. Yeah. It was made for music. Yeah, and Ziegler Dome over in Amsterdam is just a, it's a huge indoor arena that sounds great, and they paid attention to that. Um, even the um, Travis Scott went there. He just ruined it again. But like the O2 in London, I don't know if you guys have heard of that. That's a big arena. And that sounds, that whole arena complex is just amazing. It's just, you know, these arenas are becoming public hubs now where you go and you can have dinner and then you, and and it's all connected just underneath the same Yeah, there's like a shopping mall, but it's really upscale. Yeah, exactly. Daycare. (laughs) Rob, I'm curious. Uh, you know, I want to. I want to hear the other side of this. So, what is Stevie's approach to live sound reinforcement, and what does he want to hear? You know, what does he want the audience to perceive in his concerts? Well, he always wants people to feel 
like they're in the control room with him. Like he mm-hmm. wants it to be as pristine and clean and yeah. good as possible. And that's one of the reasons he's only ever used Meyer uh, speakers yeah, for decades anyway, I guess. In the very beginning he wasn't. But um, he insists on just the absolute best state-of-the-art sound. Um, and he has engineers who've been with him for decades who know exactly what it's supposed to sound like. I mean, you're always at the mercy of a bad venue if you're at a bad venue, but uh, for the most part, they keep the quality high. Although um, I've heard people complain in in the last couple of years about individual shows of his that they've seen in specific venues where maybe they didn't have enough time to set up right or whatever and, and the sound was not stellar, but that drives Stevie nuts. He he wants everybody to really hear it clean. And he, he only listens on like the very best speakers and the very best headphones and he kind of Pushes that on everybody else too. Yeah, so I mean, Life Sound. I, I just think there's been a lot of great, um, a lot of great innovations that have happened with the actual speakers themselves. They, they're more powerful. The smaller you get, a bigger sound from for a, a smaller box. But the one thing that you can't really control is the guy who's running the desk. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's where a really good Life Sound guy just makes all the difference. Well, some people might actually take issue with what you just said um yes it's more efficient sound systems today are are definitely more efficient they're made to travel they pack Mm -hmm. well um they're powered uh they're adaptable but that being said anybody that remembers back to the old horn-loaded days there were some fabulous I, i don't think i've ever heard anything sound as good as back in those days Huh. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> no, I can see that. I, 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 yeah, I guess I could see that, but I don't. How can like just with some of the new, like just amplifiers alone, how fast some of the new amps are being a, an active system up in the air? But don't forget, now we're in a smooth crossover. We're in a line array world, and some might dispute that that's not the best way to go. And now for coverage it is, but not necessarily for fidelity. I I can I can see that point, but I think if you want to have the most fidelity across the most people, which I mean, if you're going to spend a ton of money for a, for a ticket to go see your your whoever it is, um, and you just you're not in the sweet spot, then you're kind of getting ripped off, you know. As opposed to now, where you erase the sweet spots a little bit larger. You know, mm. I mean, obviously, some of the places, you know, say there are no bad spots because it can cover everything, which isn't true because even with the rays, there's always the fringes. You never want to be on the fringes. Yeah. But I guess I can, I can see your point, although I don't know. Don't you think today's some of the live sound today, just there's a smoothness that the top that handles the high end so much better than than back in the day with the horns, you know, uh, it does. Yeah. But again, I haven't heard a great new system, I have to say. I, I mean, I, you know, I've heard them good, but I haven't heard great. And, the, and I can remember back in the horn-loaded days, and granted, this is quite a long time ago. I'm being a dinosaur here. But <laughs> but I just thinking to myself, this is, I, this is like being at home and listening on headphones. And we're talking with 30,000 people wow. outside. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well... Man, I wish I could hear those days. <laughs> well, I, think, I think outside is significantly better than inside, right? Because you're hearing the music and it's going past you. It's not like in a big 
auditorium it's not where bouncing, it's bouncing around, around yeah, all over that's the place, true. and it sounds like you're you know in the middle it's, of a ping pong game. Especially back then, where there was no purpose-built music right. venues. Really, everything was a sports arena, arena that was yeah. adapted. Wow. Well, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna give you that one, Bobby. <laughs> you you pretty much, especially yeah. But I think a lot has to do with who's behind the council. Yeah, and I think yeah. if anything, I, I just I, I think everything it just validates the profession of being a, a front of house mixer. You know, it's there's a, the art and the skill to to mixing a concert for people who are there, and you know you want to mix for the venue and for that live thing. And you know, a lot of people like want it to sound like the album, but sometimes you can't sound like the album. Sometimes you just have to make it sound good in that venue and where you're See, at. See, my whole thing is I want to hear the vocalists. I want to be able to hear the right. words. Mm-hmm. And w- when you can't do that, then that diminishes the the fun. Yeah. A rap concert and not hearing the words. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's the worst. Well, I mean, it's like an alien language. So many concerts are just kick drum festivals now. Yes, yes, so, right, right. That's all it is. Yeah. Well, anyway, so that was uh, that was adventures in live concerts, and there was some real, there was some great concerts, but there was like I, that Travis. How did U two sound? U two was great, and we were like, I got like the last one of the last pairs of tickets on Via GoGo. You know how they say, it. "There's only four tickets left." Yes, you got to get that one. And we were like up in nosebleed section, but I didn't care. I just wanted to be there, and and. It sounded great. Again, their sound man has been with them from the very beginning. It's been the same guy as long as they've been a band. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, the good thing about that is he absolutely knows probably every venue in the world. Yeah. Played them probably multiple, multiple times. So he kind of knows how to how to mix for all those different venues. And their stage was amazing, though. The way they, they play the stage and then they play that long, like, mid panel thing that they that they use and it's just it was pretty phenomenal but um yeah it was really nice and if you guys travel just go out and, and experience music wherever you're at because it's there's some really it's just different it's just different shout out to post malone oh yeah post malone was, was really good. i love him <laughs> really <laughs> yuck <laughs> i can take one or two songs and then i want to just myself. Rob, we missed then you. don't do that Rob. no i don't plan to <laughs> He has things going on both coasts. <laughs> and they all sound exactly the same. <laughs> fight, fight, fight. Uh, anyway. All right, I, I, can I cap this off with, with one little braggy moment yeah, as far as we're talking about live sound? We're going to change it. Yes, so please do. So um, I just saw a concert that had absolutely no microphones whatsoever, and it <laughs> sounded fantastic. Wait, was this at the Walt Disney Concert Hall? It was not. It was at the Louis B. Davies Symphony Hall in San Francisco, wow. where my son played French horn with his 8th grade symphonic band wow. when they were up in a big concert up there. That's so great. And of course I drove up to see them and I, you know, pulled out my really nice microphones and my, you know, sound devices 722 and videotaped and recorded the whole thing. It sounded so good. Oh my god. As you said, you know, a purpose-built room that is specifically oriented towards hearing music. I mean, I love Davies Hall because, you know, I've been going to the San Francisco Symphony there since I was a kid. It is just such a beautiful hall. And Disney Hall is just as gorgeous sounding. It's absolutely fantastic. Oh, yeah. those so You could hear a pin drop. It was amazing. Those, old, so. those like you said, purpose-built halls, whether they're new, like the Walt Disney Concert Hall, or old, like we went in, um, in Paris, went to the ballet in Paris at the 
the big Grand Paris. I forgot what the name of the venue was. Anyway, <laughs> but they, uh, you know, the orchestra in the pit, yeah. right, sounded so good. Yeah. And you couldn't even see them, but yet it was coming up from the pit, coming across. And it was, it was really, that was pretty amazing. One of the best concerts I've seen in the last 20 years was at the Sydney Opera House, not in the Opera House, but on the steps outside. Hmm. Really? And it was a band from Papua New Guinea that had the best elements of so many genres. It was like East meets, meets West. And the production was as good as anything that come out of Hollywood. Hard to believe. And I, it was music that I haven't heard anywhere else, and it just blew me away. It was great. Wow. That's, you know, a lot of those concert halls, and and I know for what... It was Walt, the Paris Opera House. <laughs> Paris Opera House, thank you. Um, a lot of those concert halls have spaces that they design to, like, do concerts. Like, over at the Walt Disney Concert Hall, they have one of their one of their um, little atriums is set up to do concerts in it. Mm. And like they, chamber music? Exactly. Kind of oh, and, cool. and so it's not just inside. It's like the whole building has like little nooks and crannies. Well, this was it. outside. That's and, really and, cool. And though. there was, you know, five, 6,000 people there. That's, that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, it was really killer. Yeah, the uh, getting back to the, the Paris Opera House that we went to, um, one thing that's amazing about those old, old buildings is the lighting. Like back in the day when they didn't have any electricity and it's all candlelight. And it was, you just, you could just picture a dark little flicker and it has that amber glow and they're doing all these productions. And you're also like, it, you know, the fire danger just from back <laughs> in the day, how dangerous it was for some of those places, you know. Anyhow, it was just, it's truly, it sounded great. It was an amazing place and it was just, a, there's something about being in a, in a historic old place like oh, that, yeah. that just, it just adds to the, you could just sit there and see anything. It was just ironic because it was so like mesmerizing and so beautiful and historic, but then the ballet we saw was so avant-garde and modern. It was just like, huh? what is happening on the stage? <laughs> like it was so like abstract and, and not what we were expecting. It was painful. <laughs> <laughs> like I wanted to see like ballerinas and it was like I mean phenomenal dancers but just so out there like these abstract ideas and you're just like I think I get it that's <laughs> following a tradition though I mean that goes back to the beginning of the 1900s with Stravinsky and the Ballet Russe and you know the Rite of Spring and Martha Graham yeah well it's later. 50 years later absolutely I mean the 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 Diaghilev I believe was the name of the of the choreographer or the producer who was doing that kind of avant-garde ballet in you know places like the Paris Opera House a hundred years ago, 120 years ago, and people were absolutely bloody scandalized. But then you look at it now and you go, oh my God, the Rite of Spring is, you know, one of the most important pieces of music ever to be written in the Western culture, right? And so who knows, perhaps the avant-garde, really weird stuff that you just heard, maybe it's some absolute piece of genius that a hundred years from now people are going to say, oh my God. You know what? Maybe. <laughs> no. <laughs> No. Maybe two hundred years, <laughs> but, but no. Maybe never. <laughs> no, it was it was fun to watch and phenomenally. They're so talented. Yeah, but yeah, it was just it was really something. It was definitely something. <laughs> hey, uh, moving on. Um, how many of you guys 
went to the NAMM show. I know, I know Jordan did, Bobby did, Nick did. I know you weren't able no, to. No, I was out of town. Which was really, a, you know, that was like the first time in it's, how many years? It's only, I've only missed it twice in 34 years. Yeah, I was like, it was like a shock. Yeah, for me too. Missed you at the... The at Iron the, Man was I know. There. Not the Iron Man of the NAMM show. Missed you at the dinner too. Mm-hmm. Um, you were missed, believe me. You well, were, I missed you guys too. Um, but the NAM show was uh, actually pretty cool, and I know this, this is a long time catching up with the NAM show. But <laughs> the good thing about the NAM show, two things happened. Uh, I made a I made a purchase, and I bought the uh, the Profit X from mm. Dave Smith, and then I had Dave Smith sign it, which was <laughs> really cool. But man, it's so nice to get a synth to get. Like, I've been in the box for so long with synths and things like that. To actually have, like, knobs and to actually be able just to, to create sounds fast and just to just to do it in such a musical way. It's just, it was so nice. So it was so nice and I liked it so much that I, I bought another synth. What from, you buy? I bought the Prophet 12. <laughs> Not only did I buy the Prophet 12, but this is what pushed it over the top. I bought... The last Prophet 12 ever made. They made a special edition of the last hundred. Um, uh, they made it in white, the Prophet 12 in white. And um, number 100 was the last one, and then they were going to stop making the Prophet 12. Collector's and, item. Yes. I was so excited. Wow. It's like, an investment. Exactly. Yeah. Did I was Dave like, sign that one for you also? And he signed it. I had Dave sign that synth. <laughs> And I was like, you know what? With all the music, like, love that I've had for since and everything, it was just the right thing to have, like, a collector's item type of piece of thing like that. It's white and Taylor Swift's band uses it, too. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's why he got it. <laughs> exactly. And Dave's signed Mike's chest. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, yeah, you were there. You saw. Uh-huh. But here's the thing about it. about When you have synths and you have the... The Prophet X, which has all the sample bass, and you have Dave Smith, which is their oscillators, which are so great, and the filters, which are so, like, to, to be able to get into a filter and round off the sound, like, let's face it, a lot of presets kind of sound the same, and you just get in there, but if you can, like, like round off some of the, the high-end buzz on some of those presets and just give it this really cool, mellow sheen on it, especially their their filters, it's so, it sounds so good. It's like... Oh my goodness! I, I, it was really eye-opening just to see the difference between that and then going back to a plugin. And I love plugins. I am not anti-plugin at all. I, I love them. Sarah, Momsphere, all of them. But man, they actually have a keyboard to kind of tweak, tweak sounds in. Yeah, it's so good. Welcome to the dark side. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm only to the dark side to a certain point that I, I get it because there's still some ridiculous stuff and like the Schmidt. $20,000 keyboard. I, I don't get the $20,000. I don't understand it. You Did see, they have it at NAMM again? No, but they had it over at the um, the show that's going on in Berlin. The um, the, um, uh, the one I went to last year, Superbooth. Yes. Yes. Um, and uh, they, because I've been reading online uh, all this stuff, and they had this demo. And I go to the, the Schmidt website, and I listen to the demos, and they don't they don't sound like... I can get everything that they're doing there off the Dave Smith stuff that I have, and I did not pay twenty thousand. They don't sound like twenty thousand dollars. No, they don't. They sound kind of weak, you know. Like 
But that's not the only synthesizers that wait, there wait, are that are no, out no, no, there, Mike. No, I know, yeah. but I'm just saying, well, if you're going to ask for 20000 and apparently they're selling them, too. They're, well. they're on the third run of 25. They, they do 25 at a time, and apparently they're on the third run of it. But who would buy that? And that I, I'm not good to me. <laughs> I'm not trying to rag on them, but it's like 20000 Like, I want to hear a preset that I've never heard before that just is so, like... Uh, it's like the first time on the um, the D5, I mean the D50, you heard the Fantasia. Mm-hmm. Like mm. the first time you hear that that patch, you're like, oh, "This is a game changer," you know. And uh, or digital native dance, you know, that right. was another one. You're like, you've never heard before. Um, but now you go into the Schmidt, and I was listening to their demos, and they kind of sound kind of cheesy. I know it's better than that. What from Nam the Happy dr- Happy Drum <laughs> <laughs> that I got. Oh. Happy drum? Yeah. <laughs> it's a little drum <laughs> made out of metal, and then you just boop, boop, boop. <laughs> what, it's like a steel drum or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have a coffee drum. table. Yeah. Uh, you get stressed I out. I play all the time, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Score you for sneaking in the happy drum on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but yeah, $20,000 for a synth that doesn't sound like $20,000 is just... I don't get it. And, and well, I'm not... you know, one man's, you know, it's it's one person's thing. Maybe there's something about that synth that is so appealing to the people who bought it. I mean, I can't believe they're all just, you know, they're all just idiots. I mean, you would imagine that there's probably something there that, you know, Junkie XL I, or, you I know, Paul it. Hartnell from Orbital or yeah, somebody. They can somebody afford who it. Really, well, who can afford it. I'm just saying there's that something that they're really getting out of it. If I had $20,000, it would, you know... I'd buy a dot com big old modular system, yeah. or else I'd buy a bunch of Buchla stuff. Bitcoin. But to each their own. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so to each to each their own, right? Yeah, I, I will say this though: I I had to go out and buy MIDI cables because I, I didn't have it. I literally got rid wow. of all my MIDI cables, and so I wanted to hook everything up, and I realized I didn't have enough MIDI cables. But, but wait, couldn't you just do it with the USB? Yeah, but I wanted I wanted here's here's my setup. I have I have the. Prophet 12, I've got the Prophet X, and then I got an Akai Force. Are you guys familiar with that? It's their new, um, like, uh, it's like Ableton Live um, on a machine. It does loop bass, it's synths, it's all, but it's also an alternate controller, so you can have all these really weird scales and tuning you can play on the pads. Sounds awesome. It's really great. So I have that running. Um, and then I are have, you composing on the computer and then moving it onto this unit, or are you actually composing on the unit itself? Well, here's the thing. Like, you can't bounce out of the unit, so everything's coming out live, and then I have to capture it back into Pro Tools. It's yeah. actually it's actually really, it's, it's kind of old school. You're kind of almost like a tape-based workflow right so, now. So well, if they're all new, then why can't you use USB? No, I do. I USB for my profit, but then I wanted to... I, because of nostalgia, I wanted to MIDI it up. I'll be honest, <laughs> it has a MIDI port on it. Let's just do MIDI. And the funny thing is, is like the Akai, you can do um, Ableton Link on uh, you know over Wi-Fi. So it's like, you know, poor little MIDI cables are getting tossed left and right. Can but you I still get them? Huh? Can you still get them? Yeah, Guitar Center. Oh, man, let's not talk about Guitar Center. I got about 50,000 of them. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) Rob, can I have a couple more? Because I need like three more. (laughs) I'm keeping them all. They're all going to come back in style. (laughs) No, you have them, but they're probably the most pristine cables known to mankind. Absolutely. Because when you pulled out the, the recorder 
you know, just so people know, the Pro Tools system, we couldn't get up and running, so we're actually recording this on an H6. And Rob pulls out his H6, and it's in the most pristine condition. Like, it's – all you needed was just shrink wrap over the outside, and <laughs> yeah, it's brand one. new. Don't we all it was brand PC new, I think. <laughs> no, it's gotten a ton of use, actually. Wow. But, but anyhow, it's, it's so good to, like, get back into – playing keyboards and just to have like uh, you know your hands more than just hair you know and have more than your 25 key little controller and it's just yeah i get it i get it nick i get yes. it I'm, I'm a believer i'm proud of you my brother I'm a, I'm a believer hey i gotta ask you guys a question though and so i want to keep dave smith's uh signature pristine and i'm trying to figure out the best way to do that like would you mm. tape it over would you like like a tape over it i i just i'm trying to figure out how to keep it like from getting like it's like i would take a piece of clear cellophane yeah uh not not you know food cellophane but like a clear piece of plastic like yeah. you would use for laminating or something like that yeah and put it over it and tape around the edges yeah that's what I'm so thinking. that you don't have anything actually touching the signature if that's yeah. really important i just think it's kind of cool so i don't i don't go for the whole like I'm not one to ask for autographs or anything like that, but there was just something right about Dave signing the keyboard, you know? He's so passionate. You have a conversation with Dave. He's so he's so plugged into his company and what they do and he's just hands-on and it's it's he's just uh, he's just a great guy and and he makes really good gear, so that's why I was like spray ac- acrylic See, I, I'm I'm trying to figure out what's the best way. I haven't done anything, but I just don't want to like accidentally. Oh, I want to dust off my keyboard. <laughs> there it goes. <laughs> I think it's really fascinating that in the year 2019, Dave Rossum, Roger Lynn, Tom Oberheim, yep. and Dave Smith essentially, you know, Bob is passed and Don Buchla is passed, right. but you know. These guys who are four of the absolute most important legends of synthesizer creation are all active and they're all building new instruments and they're all going for it. You guys go for it, man. Yeah. I hope you do it for what the t- next hundred years. What, what's Tom Oberheim doing? Uh, well, he co-developed well the OB6A for uh, for Dave Smith for Sequential oh, now. Okay. So he's, he's still active, you know. They're just – I actually – I got a picture with all those guys at yeah. the Dave Smith um, party for the Prophet, the 40th anniversary of the Prophet Five. I um, went to there and I, I, they were taking a picture together, and I just like, can I get in there? <laughs> Literally, because it's like, <laughs> when am I going to get that opportunity ever yeah. again? I just yeah. love yeah. the fact that they love electronic they music do. and what they build so much that they could all retire and they're still doing it. You know, I think that's wonderful. And these are the guys that set the precedent for everything that we're doing now and everything that, all the music that you're listening to. And I love the fact that a lot of good music nowadays is, has that flashback sounds of, of some of the early synths, not only the 80s, but modular stuff back in the, the 70s, you know, you still hear some of those sounds. It's it's really cool, you know. I think it's just when everybody was afraid, people are dumping all their analog gear and everybody's afraid about, you know, it's all going to be in the box. It's like, you know what? It's not always going to all be in the box. No. People want to create. They want to touch. They want to feel. They want to do stuff. Yes, but but modular stuff is getting bigger and bigger. And here we go again at the last NAM, where it expanded again. You know, the, it used to be, what, two boots? 
to, you know, put together, and then it was, you know, a whole block, and, and now it's, you know, several blocks. What's so somebody's buying that stuff. Yeah. Eurorack is still in the ascendancy. People are loving it. People who have never so I could go on about this for a really long time, but I'll try to I'll try to <laughs> gather my thoughts here and be brief about it. A couple of things. So as far as NAM goes, um, it turned out that this year there were significantly less of the small mom and pop Eurorack manufacturers at NAM than in previous years for two reasons. The first reason is because NAM charges a great deal, well, three reasons. First is because NAM charges a great deal of money for their, for their space. Secondly, because the vast majority of the people that are going to NAM are not specifically interested in Eurorack, right? So therefore they're, you know, therefore there's a tremendous number of people coming in. Most of them are not really interested in what it is that they're selling. And thirdly, because in February there was a there was another first time um, convention in Burbank called Synthplex, yeah, mm, and all of the mom and pop companies went there instead, and they go to Superbooth because you know I have it on authority from my friends who you know are manufacturers that it's a tenth of the price, and so they can go, and even though it's a much smaller audience. Everyone who's there is there specifically because they love the same stuff that these people are making, right? But I agree with you, Bobby, that that it's you know it's still it's massive, and Eurorack is really is really exploding stuff. But let me ask you a question: I never hear of any hits being done on Eurorack stuff. I never see anybody in concert using Eurorack stuff. There uh, is some. Yes, there are. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, uh, LCD sound system. Used oh, really? It. Yeah, and okay. that was probably. One of the best concerts I've ever been to over at the... Incredible. Yeah, over at the Palladium. And it was live and it had... I know they're one for a fact because I was looking at the stage. Um, uh, I think Radiohead, don't they have a Eurorack system that they bring with them? I mean, I don't think it's the only thing that they use, but I think that it's there as part of yeah. um, what it is that they're doing now. Uh, Euro, Eurorack and modular stuff, it's it's problematic for live performance. Mm. And the reason is because it isn't preset-based. It's because you really are sitting there creating stuff on the fly. Like the old days. Right. And yeah. so what it's fantastic for is um, it's fantastic for techno, it's fantastic for house music, it's, it's fantastic for a lot of different kinds of electronic music. And, of course, you know, like the stuff that I do, it's much more interesting. You know, it's fantastic for abstract music and improvisational stuff. Things like that. It's not. It, 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 it's something that I think people use more of in the studio than than they do. And then you know some of those sounds that they make, they can sample, and then it's much easier for them to be able to play the samples back live. Yeah, yeah. that's true. I think so. the one thing about about your rack and modular in general is after you spend all this time patching up your whatever patch it is, then there's an emotional component to playing with the knobs and and opening the filters and there's like a super hands-on type of vibe that you can get yeah. that that you have to like you know you have to spin that knob you have to do this stuff because there's no you know there's no digital control although they do have that and there's actually you know preset modular stuff that they're you know trying to get and stuff there like that. There is semi-modular yeah. stuff that's coming out now particularly from some of the major manufacturers. Yeah and I think that that kind of defeats the purpose. Were you ever into that Rob? Yeah I did a ton of that uh, especially in my earlier days with Stevie, uh, I used to patch a lot of modular stuff for him. We never had a Euro rack. We had like the real ancient stuff mm. that, uh, five U. Yeah. That, that all the new toys are, you know, trying to build on, but, uh, yeah, I patched a lot of that stuff and I have, I have a few modular pieces that I still 
play with sometimes, but it's not practical if you're on any kind of deadline or you're going to need to recall anything. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, but I, I find it fun. I once, uh, I'm sure I told the story a really long time ago on the podcast, but I once got the worst electric shock of my life from Stevie's Moog modular. <laughs> uh, I had just started working with him and I went to connect something up and I don't know, somehow like the, the AC had shorted to like Oof. a filter output or something. <laughs> and I did a patch and it threw me across the room. Yeah. Holy oh, God. And then we ended up sending it in for service and they said, yeah, this thing is incredibly yeah. broken and they fixed it. But, wow. Uh, so I got the worst shock of my life from a modular synth. No, I've been thrown across the room. I, I, <laughs> no, with, with guitar amps. Oh, okay. And, and, you know, the funny thing is when you're dealing with 300 to 600 volts, you'll get thrown across the room, but if you touch it with your finger, there'll be a little red dot on one side, mm-hmm. and then it'll be totally black on the other. <laughs> oh, yeah. I hope I never experienced that's that. That's pretty yeah, bad. No, I, yeah, that's not that's something. You don't forget it. <laughs> Well, I'll tell Vacuum you. Vacuum tube voltage, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. That, that can kill you. Yeah, it can. 120 can kill you, but 300, yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, I, I mean, basically, you're going to be running across that with, you know, the rails on some of the new modular racks and stuff like that. You just have to be careful and you got to, you know, just everybody well, has to comply. Well, what, what they teach you is you always have one arm around. Right. right. You know. Right, so at least it's back. not yeah, going to go right, through your heart. Right. And the safe thing about modular is that it's 12 volts or 15 volts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, yeah sure. Not, you're, not, you're not going to die from that. You're not going to die. Right. Um, but I'll tell you the last thing, and then we'll, we'll change the topic because we're going to start to wrap stuff up. But when it comes to modular, you have this hands-on feel. And, and also when it comes to running synths, right? Now, you know, I have this synth. The, the saving grace in this whole thing is the invention of the... Uh, Cell phone with cameras because it oh, makes yeah. recall so much easier. Yeah. I had it does, s- although it never comes back exactly right. I that's, know, but it's like I've already like I already have a bunch of pictures, and I'm like, okay, now I got to figure out what database I'm going to use to store all my patches that I'm going to have for all these things because you have all these things that, that are thick. You know? um, well, I mean, I would say if I were if I were doing it that way. Um, you could use you could use Google Photos. The trick would be to embed metadata into the images themselves. So rather than having to have something where you have a separate thing that's pointing to that image, yeah. you just embed metadata into the notes of that image, saying this was you know my string patch. This is my this patch. This is my because that way the data travels with the image itself, which is really what you want. Wow, I'll have to try that. So yeah, that's my that's my project that's been happening on the music side of things is getting back into keyboards. And I have my wave station and then I also have my M three plugged in. So I have like my own little my own little universe. Wow. Awesome. And then you know what? Just like everything else, you're always like, Oh, and this the next keyboard, and the next keyboard, the next keyboard, you know? But it's not gonna be it's not gonna be. You mean the guitar from Nashville? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Somebody bought a Roland JX three P on his way over. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. Nick, that was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, too. Oh my god. That was like I said, that was the first scent that's ever spent the night at my house. Because my friend Bernie Esposito let me borrow his scent. Now he was a good friend because I don't even know if I would let him yeah. borrow it. <laughs> but I was sitting there and I, I, I'll never forget because that was the first sequencer that I was really kind of, yeah. you know, like, oh my gosh, this works so great. And so I was playing with it and I'm like, 
oh, Bernie, let me, I'm working on this song. Can I borrow it? He's like, yeah. So he let me borrow his synthesizer overnight once. It was the best thing ever. I have, I, I, it was a total nostalgia play because I just, so I was like, oh, of course I want the synthesizer that I sold back in the 80s so that I could buy an Insonic Mirage sampler. <laughs> oh, jeez, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I have so many memories of playing Bruce Springsteen and Berlin and, uh, oh well, Huey Lewis and the News, that, all of those cover songs. The string sound thing. from the JX3 exactly. has that sound that, <laughs> it doesn't actually sound like strings, it's its its own thing, but no other synth sounded like this. the JX3 yep. plays strings. Like, it, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's kind of uh, electronically and has this little smooth little high end. It's not really... It's smooth. That's that's the best way. Like some of those early synths, their strings are kind of eh, yeah. And this was had that analog smoothness because of it. the filter chips that yeah. they used inside of it. At that time. it was the same filter chips that they used for the Jupiter Eight, but it's a different configuration, so they actually sound a little different. I'd be curious to see how that sounds against the re-release of the JX Three P. Oh yeah, the, all the um, boutique stuff that Roland all the boutique is doing. Because they just did a JX Three P. I'm just happy you made it to the podcast with your new purchase and didn't go straight home. <laughs> to play with it. <laughs> How could I possibly miss coming here and nerding out about all of this stuff for hours? Yeah, next, like, can we wrap this up? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, speaking of wrapping up, we're going to have to wrap this up because I know Rob's super busy, but I just wanted to bring the family back together. And I just want to let everybody know that um, we're coming back and we're going to be posting podcasts on a regular basis. And, uh, it's great after our uh, our little hiatus, and also we're starting our fourteenth year on wow. the air. We finished thirteen years this last Aprilish, um, and so now this is the first show of our fourteenth year. And let me tell you, everybody and their grandmother has a podcast nowadays, and it's so great to say, "Yeah, I have a podcast. We've been podcasting for thirteen years." Yeah. <laughs> impressive yeah. it, it really is and uh it's impressive that you've never missed the podcast rob that's what's impressive i don't know if that's impressive or depressing <laughs> <laughs> but then <laughs> but it's also impressive all the people that we've picked up along the way nick and bobby and, and everybody comes back and i know uh, diego wanted to be here but he's on a deadline and it's just it's just really great and we have a couple listeners who they've scott, heard every show scott wanted to be here but he's yeah scott he's wanted to be here town. but he's like he's working <laughs> So, um, yeah, but it's really great. It's really fun. And I just want to thank the seven listeners that are out there. I mean, we actually probably only have six now. I think one dropped off. <laughs> but uh, there's going to be some great things happening. We have some, some really good guests that are going to be coming up on the podcast. Um, we got a couple podcast specials. Um, it's really interesting. We went to Nashville and we did the podcast there. Sound guys, audio guys, we have a lot to say. And some of the stories that, that – we heard on that were just were just phenomenal. Nashville is such a great town. It is such a great town, and we'll tell you more Nashville stories on on the next podcast. But um, yep, we have some stuff going on. Hey, but before we um, call it quits here, I know we've uh, talked about what you've been up to for the last eight months. But anybody want to talk about Bobby about anything coming up in the future? Well, I have a brand new book. And two refreshes coming out, a fifth edition on one book and a fourth edition on another. And uh, I'm not going to say which ones. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan, how about you? What do you, what oh, do you got? Jordan is the, the voice. What, do you, what can we hear you on besides uh, the... Uh, <laughs> let's see. Anything? Okay. Well, you're still uh, NDA'd I, on everything. Yeah, I know. There's a... 
some big games coming out. Some video games. Great. Um, anime, lots of dubbing on Netflix. Netflix is curating all this content that's really big in foreign countries and then having solid English actors uh, do it so people actually watch it because, God forbid, you read a subtitle, but lazy American culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll put it this way. I'm going to be the voice of a superhero from a pretty big franchise in a game. <laughs> so... Wow. That, that, that's the, yeah, but I can't get more specific than that. I hope it's that. Iron Man. <laughs> it's not Iron Man. I wish. <laughs> Nick, how about you? Oh, you know, I mean, we, we talked about it. We'll, t- we'll talk about synthesizers a lot more in the future. Um, it, it's funny that you mentioned the Alexa smart speaker, yeah. because I would say for the last year or so, the majority of the work that we've been doing at Disney in my department has been all Alexa and Google Home. And it's been really, really interesting to invent skills and invent new ways of uh, interacting, you know, with a fairly limited thing like that. But it's been it's been really really fun, and we have a lot of uh, a lot of big stuff that we're working on right now. I just finished recording a bunch of songs with Minnie, Mickey, and Goofy, and have been mm-hmm. arranging them nursery rhymes and things that are going out on Amazon Alexa. And it's you know it's just a hoot. Alexa, post this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Alexa, get more listeners. <laughs> uh, Alexa, can you hand me that water bottle really quick? <laughs> Here is the water bottle, Mike. Enjoy. Hey, were you doing um, choose your own adventure style of, yeah. of stuff? Yeah, we did a bunch of it. We did a bunch of Mickey Mouse, Wreck It Ralph, to a um, few other things like that. And then we were working on these things called plot twists, which are sort of a Mad Lib kind of thing where you go along and uh, um, you know it'll start telling the story of Peter Pan and it'll be you know Captain Hook is sitting there writing a, a speech that he's going to give to the different pirates and then Peter Pan and Tinkerbell fly in while he's off somewhere and they say oh let's change a couple of these words around hey kids what would you like it to be and then you know you can you know change the word uh, difficult you know uh, massive pirate to stinky cheese or something and then, <laughs> then Captain Hook re- reads it back and of course you know uh, high drinks ensue, and there's great hilarity in the five and six year old sets. So. Five and Ari, yeah, what do you mean? <laughs> I want to play right now. <laughs> you know, it's really cool though. As a quick note about the uh, podcast being becoming huge and this Alexa stuff, yeah. is that it's like bringing back old radio plays. Exactly, and, like, that's yeah. been the great thing about you, it. You know, it's. So I just fun. think that's really cool that the the art of that is literally being revived Absolutely. for a whole new generation, and it's not like old and lame to kids. They they interact with the speaker now. It's kind of creepy on one side but it's really fun that it's and it's just the opportunities for for voice actors and everything it's it's so fun for disney it's incredible i mean you know i love doing audio for picture always have but how cool that we get to you know tell stories in the worlds of aladdin and wreck it ralph and you know mickey mouse and peter pan all that stuff and there's there's no picture to support it it's just our music our sound effects and and you know dialogue of these incredible people. Corey Burton playing Captain Hook, for yeah. example. You know, I mean, all of this. It's its just amazing. It's, yeah. a, it's an awesome time to be working in audio if you're doing that kind of thing. I, I did a, uh, well, for Dunkirk, <laughs> I can I can say, Ooh. I did the Alexa Choose Your Own Adventure for Dunkirk, the movie. Wow. Cool. And let me tell you, it was, it was really cool, but a nightmare because they had six editors working on all the sound because they put sound effects and everything. Mm-hmm. And each editor gave me a premixed stem that I had to master, right? And they all had a different sense of volume Ooh. and EQ. And that was, it was the craziest 
worst project I've ever had in my life because <laughs> you had to map because it's choose your own adventure and you had to kind of match it so that when you go from one file to the other file it was really interesting but it was just like one file is really loud <laughs> exactly. and the other one's like and, really and so like, you want to bring light. it down but then this guy has a lot of compression so a lot of EQ this guy's super bright and you're like and, and it's mm. just and, I, and it was like I think there was like 77 files or something in this particular one it was because it was you know Dunkirk um but I'll never forget because they were like, oh yeah, their budget was like, oh yeah, a couple hours, you know, just, just check the levels. Oh. And I'm like, okay, check I can check the, the levels. levels. They're all bad. Yeah. <laughs> what department was this? Uh, it was it was film. It was theatrical. It came from the <laughs> theatrical department, and it was just it was, like there was no clue. They like they didn't even like bother doing any type of pre-production or, or anything and, and they were the kings <laughs> exactly the right the right level for that stuff is minus 14 lufs for amazon alexa with peaks up to minus two oh. and then you go and you because of the fact that um the sampling rate is actually so atrocious uh when they finally actually master the thing right the MP3s that you're filing, what you want to do is actually put an EQ bump, bump at about 7K. Well, and then from there, and then it just falls off like a brick. So, we'll send so that to all the that other stuff doesn't the matter. You could have used RX loudness control to be able to get all that stuff. Well, that's, you know what? Basically what I did is I I looked at the one that was the hottest, right? Because yeah. like, and I just, and I made that sound good. And then I brought everything up. The Travis Scott team. version? Exactly. Because <laughs> exactly. there was a couple of them that were just so overmodulated. Yeah. Um, they, well, actually, they weren't overmodulated. They were just super loud. And there's no way in the world I'm going to bring that down to, to match this one. That's all nice and dainty. So what you kind of have to do is you got to have to bring this guy up to match the more aggressive one, as we say. It's so. funny, though, because at the end of the day, it's like I, I, I want to capture for – I have it on my website. So I capture the adventure side to like – Jerry rigged the Alexa's output into an audio interface. Yeah. It was way harder than I expected it to be. But I, once I was routing, I'm like, why is there so much noise? Like, why is, where is everything above 7K? They have to do that to stream it. So it's kind of like at the end, like when MP3s came into existence, it's yeah. like all the mixing that yeah. you amazing engineers do. It's like, it's not, people aren't listening on CDs anymore. It's a 96K streaming MP3. At, at that moment <laughs> it's so time, depressing. Yeah. Like a, all the work you put in just gets into this little tiny speaker at 96 kilobits yeah oh, i know and i literally i was the whole thing at that moment in time all i was worried about is just passing qc as long as i can pass qc i don't care i'm, I'm mixing for the qc guy yeah, yeah. <laughs> right if it gets past him it's fine but um but yeah anyway well it's great sounds like you're doing some really fun cool things it's, it's looking, super fun forward to it. it's, it's a neat world we're working in right now how about you miss bliss what do you what do you got kind of oh up? i'm just getting back all into the creative writing and filmmaking and just living the dream i'm excited i'm also getting back into music dun 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 yeah oh really and are you using any special tools or anything <laughs> yes i am <laughs> logic <Ugh>. logic <laughs> That's pretty impressive. <laughs> and I knew you'd hate that, Rob. <laughs> I'm not on Rob's good side tonight, but I'm just going to go with it. No, go for it. As long as I don't have to use it, you can use whatever you want. No, you're going to help me. Oh. We're sharing a mic. Post Malone uses logic. Does he? Okay. No, I don't know. I'm, just, I'm just, <laughs> just trying to rub it. Uh, <laughs> well, that sounds yeah. like you're working on some really fun, amazing thing, and welcome to the world of Logic, even though Rob doesn't like it. I Thank like it. You. Logic's really kind of fun. There's a lot of great. There's a lot of great DAWs up there, and they all do yeah. some really good things. The good thing about Logic is if you come from a garage band, it's practically like 
just your next step. It's it's such an easy way to go from consumer to pro. Just jump on the logic band. I'm sorry, Rob, but this is you can use whatever you want. And then, and then you then you start using Cubase, and you go, uh. oh, that's what that's what properly designed software is like. <laughs> Really? Everything. Until you have to open Cubase and you're like, wait, I, I need to change a parameter and it's buried four windows. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> it's such a better program. No, but I, you know we what? could do a whole podcast. I do, I do like I Cubase too, though. I like Cubase. It'd be hilarious. Rob and I are on one side of the table and Mike and Blitz are on the other. <laughs> Except I've truly, I've completely stopped caring what other people use. So you yes. can use whatever makes you happy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, whatever you can do, and I, I'm just a glutton for punishment, so I use them all. I, I literally, there's probably not a dot out there that I haven't used because I just, I'm a nerd well, the trick is way. to know all of them because you never know when a gig's going to come up that you will lose if you don't actually yeah. have some knowledge of a piece of software. You should never lose a job over a piece of software. I'll tell you what, though, of, the, of all of them, like like Reaper really surprised me how powerful that was, but uh, even the Harrison. The Harrison, Harrison makes yeah, fabulous. Bus. It really that does. Was, God, that's really fun. Um, but the one that like was the hardest to crack, but is super fun, is FL Studio. <laughs> it's its own unique thing. It's yeah. its own unique personality. It's just, it, and if you come from Cubase, if you come from Logic, if you come from Pro Tools, it's not like any of them. It's not. It's 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 its own thing. But it's all loop based, right? Loop based. Yeah. But you can also do uh, traditional. But it's mainly loop based. But you can go in there. You can draw your notes in. If you like are on an airplane and you just want to have some fun, you can just go in there and draw notes. Which and... you're always on the airplane. So that's perfect. <laughs> exactly. It, it's really it's really great. It's just put away that camera, sir. <laughs> Mac and PC. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Rob, how about you? What's uh, what's what's coming up? I know you you told us a little bit. Anything you want to add? Well, I am launching a new venture that it's too soon to talk about publicly, but it's tying together a lot of things I've been doing for the last thirty plus years in the music biz, and I'll be leaning on each of you guys in different ways once this thing starts to grow. I've already filled in Mr. Ozinski about it, and uh, this is. Partially in my quest, I've decided it's not fun being a non-billionaire anymore. So I'm going to see if I can fix that. And uh, have a lot of fun in the music industry at the same time. I am still working on that uh, social media music app, which I think this summer will become uh, publicly available and people will start to talk about it. I'm actually getting ready to travel to New York for some meetings because one of the things this platform is going to do, it's a social media platform that is based around sharing music instead of pictures and videos which is a pretty ingenious idea. And it also turns out to be a really cool way to sell merch for different artists. And so I'm flying to New York for some meetings about that. Uh, I only found that out about five minutes before the podcast started. So <laughs> as soon as we finish here, I'm going to go on the airline site and find a flight. But oh, uh, it's actually going pretty well. But I'm, I'm also launching my own thing that is finally going to pull together things I've been thinking about for a really long time. Um, so we have to find a different place to do the interview on Monday then. Yes. Uh, actually, it depends. If I may fly out Monday night, we'll talk. Okay, we'll talk. We don't need to bore the audience no, with that. No, we don't. That's, that's exciting. That's, like, that's great. Well, I had a whole slew of meetings set up in L.A. next week for my new venture, and now I have to postpone them all because this thing in New York is pretty critical. All right, hold on. Note to self, I have a place to sleep in Burbank and yeah. a new app to buy from Rob. Okay. And also, note to self is don't count on Rob being in any particular city at any given time. That's what people are finding out the hard way. Uh, you know what? Note to self 
Get stock in Rob's company. No <laughs> kidding. Hey Sign me up. Sign me up. Billionaires Club. Billionaires Club. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we got to find out when you're going to be in New York again. That was fun when we went. Same exact place I was last time. I know. When you're going to be there. <laughs> oh, I'll let you know. <laughs> um, great. That's great. Sounds like your, your plate's kind of full. Oh, and I will... I'm going to put out a synth request. We've been talking about all this synth nerdiness. The, uh, the Joe Walsh song, Life's Been Good to Me, in the middle, there's a synth break. Yeah. Which I've always thought was a uh, Super Jupiter factory sound, but I'm not sure it is. But if anybody out there knows for real what that sound is, I've been trying to hunt down that sound for like 20 years, and I actually had someone ask me about it recently. Wow. And the funny part, I was actually on, I think we talked about it a couple years ago, I was actually on a cruise with Joe Walsh right. and forgot to ask him. Oh. <laughs> I'm sitting right there with the guy. It's like, I actually have a question for you, and I can't think of what it is. Um, but think, if anybody out there knows... <laughs> the sequence part in the middle. Of yeah, the, the sequence part, it's like a ring modulator yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And I feel like I've heard it come out of a synth without any adjustment. And I think it was a Super Jupiter decades ago. But there's, there's a synth challenge... For the uh, listening audience. And Mike wants to know why people buy $20,000 cents. <laughs> yeah, that there is no answer for because that's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, that's great. All right, challenge out there. Challenge, challenge out there. Out we got there. a synth challenge. How about you, Mike? Well, thank you for asking. Um, a lot of stuff is happening. We're doing more episodes of Spaces. Uh, you're going to see some changes for the Audio Now cast. Because, um, you know, I figure after 13 years... You know, let's try to monetize some of this stuff. So, uh, yeah, so it's going to be, you know, podcasts. Again, the quest to stop being a non-billionaire. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The quest to stop being a non-billionaire. <laughs> but uh, we'll be right back after this <laughs> special studio announcement for Huggies Diapers. <laughs> but, <laughs> exactly. No, but there's just some really fun stuff. We're going to be doing some some content. We're, we're also going to be um, bumping up the sponsorship on a few things. And I'll, also... Uh, we're going to have a little fun little merch, you know, little swag stuff. And it'll just be – it'll be really fun and we'll just roll this all out. On the uh, May 22nd is when this podcast is going to come out. That's the tease that I put up on social media. But mm-hmm. we're going to be changing a few things. And it's just fun, you know. And, and, I, and I think the best thing about this that's really kind of motivated a lot of this stuff is after doing all this travel and going to all these studios – we have a really unique little niche that we have here. First of all, I don't know anybody that travels into all the studios and gets people in and just shows people in the, in the way that we're doing it because we're, we're, there's a story behind every episode. It's not just, hey, let's just go into here. There's actually like the Nashville episode. We anchor it around my friend Brent Jeffers who's been a keyboard tech for 30 years. It's just there's some heart in there. And, just, and, and it's really great to be able just to find your own little niche. But also the podcast, it's really great when you're in a foreign country or you're, you know, you're someplace else and people have heard of your podcast before. Yeah. So that's kind of fun, and it's just, you know, why not? It's it's a good time, and we get along. We have a lot of people that do really interesting things in the industry. I mean, Jordan, the fact that you just you your your livelihood is voiceover, you know, and people don't realize that that's a that's a really valid active place in, in the audio industry. And Nick and what you do with all your stuff over at Disney, and Bobby, all the education that you do and helping people and teaching people, and then Rob. You're just this massive knowledge and the things that you've done and all your ventures. And just 
you know, there's no other podcast that kind of brings all these different things together and kind of, you know, we go out there and we just talk and have a good time. And I think all in all, we're all kind of going forward. We're all trying to find our own little path and, you know, we're killing it. <laughs> so you guys are, you know, it's really great. And I've missed the podcast, but mainly I miss interacting with the listeners and we're going to be way more active on social media. So just be aware. So I want to thank all you guys for listening, for the people, and we do have some listeners that have been with us all 13 years. Can you believe that? I don't know if I would stay with us for 13 years. Gluttons for punishment. You know? Um, <laughs> but the fact that you know we're on year 14 and we've, we've survived and we've kept going, it's just pretty good. And it's a really good um, – just says a lot about everybody around this table that you still come back. And it was great. All I had to do was, hey, we're going to do a podcast. And boom, boom, boom. You know, Everything worked out and everybody was like, I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll be there, and then they'll quit on me like the day of. But that's right. okay. At least they said I'll be there. <laughs> but they said I'll be there. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> I'll be there. Uh, anyhow, uh, I just want to thank everybody and just look forward to the next year and everything else that's coming up and looking forward to the episodes. And just be aware there will be some changes, and you'll see them as they come out, and we'll announce them as they come out. But all in all, it's good to be home. It's good to be back. So for myself and everybody around the table, thank you so much for listening. And we'll catch you next time. We've missed you, Joanne. Good. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Wireworld Pro Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and features a panel with Rob Arbitier, Bobby Osinski, Scott Gershon, Nick Peck, Diego Stucco, Brandon Birdside. Martin Page, Bobby Summerfield, and maybe a guest or two. We'll see you next time. <laughs>